The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Do you feel that you're losing the battle with looking and feeling your best? Stop! Welcome to Body Balance Talk with your host, Lucy Hewitt, and her guest experts. Your body has an outstanding ability to heal itself and stay healthy. It's up to you to get the process started. Now, here is Lucy Hewitt. Welcome to Body Balance Talk. I'm Lucy Hewitt, nutritional therapist. And I'm Madeline Hewitt. And I'm Jeannie Schmidt, PharmD. We'd like to welcome you to our show today on food sensitivities and how to live on the elimination diet. I'm going to start by asking you if you yourself or anyone that you know has trouble with gas, bloating, diarrhea, irritable bowel, constipation, or acid reflux. What about depression, anxiety, ADHD, or any other brain or thinking problems such as lack of focus and concentration? What about skin rashes, eczema, dry skin, or acne? What about arthritis, painful joints, or Hashimoto's thyroiditis? What about any other autoimmune diseases? It may seem odd, but each of these symptoms and disease states can be tracked back to the gut. If you or a loved one are suffering with these issues, we highly suggest you start your search for health at the level of the gut. It's not to say that the gut will be the only organ involved, but without a properly functioning digestive system, other therapies will not be as effective as they could be. And in many cases, you'll find that you don't even need other therapy. The digestive system is almost like a whole world of its own. It even has its own nervous system. But oddly, the whole digestive system is actually outside of your body. Yes, it's located inside you, but it's like a tube running through your body that's connected with the outside world at both ends. It acts as a barrier to the outside world and allows only the right nutrients and molecules to enter your bloodstream when it's working properly. On a previous show, we discussed the bacteria of the gut, a very, very important component of gut health that involves mostly the large intestine, but also some of the small intestine as well. Now, we suggest that you go back and listen to that show and be sure that you understand how to improve your gut bacteria because that will be a critical component. You see, it all works together. That's right. Today's show will focus on the aspect of the health of your small intestine and how that ties into food sensitivities, which lead to many of those symptoms and diseases Jeannie just mentioned. I'm betting that you're surprised when we tell you that the problems such as anxiety and depression have something to do with your gut. You might think, Those are brain issues. Well, what we'll learn today is how the gut and the brain are actually connected and how you must heal your gut if you hope to heal your brain. And we'll also discuss the anatomy and physiology of the small intestine, but don't worry, we'll keep it simple. 
We'll also talk about what the small intestine does and what can go wrong to cause these symptoms and disease states that I just mentioned. We'll go through practical, easy-to-implement programs that you can do yourself right now to improve your health. So let's get started talking about your digestive process and learn how it's supposed to happen for good health. Now here in Minneapolis in our nutrition series, we spend about two hours teaching this material. Now we won't go nearly into that depth here on the show, but it should give you a good base understanding. Well, great. Let's get started. The first thing you need to know is that good digestion starts with your brain and your nervous system. I just mentioned that the gut has its own nervous system. Well, the nervous system governing the rest of your body is also critical in digestion. Now, to make it simple, know that you have two kinds of nervous system states. Yep. And the first one is called the sympathetic nervous system. And that you might have known as the fight or flight reaction. And it's when you feel anxious or nervous or maybe worried, blood is diverted away from your digestive system and away from your liver. And your, your body decides that it's not time to digest food when you're in this fight or flight state. Now, the second state of the nervous system is called the parasympathetic nervous system state. Here, your blood is directed to the liver and kidneys and your digestive system. And when you're in this parasympathetic state, your body is ready to digest the food. And when you eat, you should be relaxed and in the parasympathetic state in order to have the best digestion. That means sitting down and enjoying your food. Now, think about food right now. Do you notice that you're salivating? Yeah, I noticed. Do you notice that? Yeah, Yeah. that's the next stage of digestion. Your saliva contains a digestive enzyme called amylase. You put the food in your mouth and chew it up. The amylase starts to digest the carbohydrates in your mouth. Now, if you swallow the food in big chunks, you've missed the contact of the amylase with your food. So chew your food until you have no more big chunks. While you're chewing, your stomach is getting ready to receive the food. It secretes a nice mucus lining to coat and protect your stomach. And you'll also get the enzyme pepsin and HCL secreted into your stomach to digest the proteins. Now, you can imagine your stomach as has an easier time digesting that piece of meat that you were just thinking about if you chew it really, really well. And besides protein digestion, it's here in your stomach where you absorb the various minerals and B vitamins. B vitamins are critical for energy and for good mood. And we hear here in the studio, a lot of people complain about low energy. So when you are talking about energy, one place to think is the B vitamins. Anyone with energy, depression, or anxiety issues should address a stomach that's not secreting enough acid. Now that would be people taking antacids or acid blockers. Remember, you need an acid stomach pH to absorb your minerals and B vitamins. Zinc, calcium, and magnesium are also affected here. Zinc is critical for your immune system, and you know that calcium and magnesium are necessary for good bones. Not only that, but stomach acid environment helps to kill off any foreign bacteria. You need that acid stomach environment to kill off the foreign bacteria, parasites, and other organisms that just came right in with your food. But if you're lacking enough stomach acid, the food sits in your stomach and it essentially rots. 
it creates its own acid to digest itself. Now, these acids that the food is creating itself, they cause trouble down lower into your small intestine. And remember this part. We're going to refer to this rotting food acid in just a few minutes. So the next step, once the food is mostly digested and in a liquid form in your mouth is the f- or in your stomach, then the food moves into your small intestine. So it's liquid, it's digested in your stomach, and then it moves into the small intestine. It's here where the digestive enzymes from the pancreas are secreted to further digest the fats and carbs and proteins. The small intestine has three distinct regions, and for today, we're going to keep it simple and refer to the small intestine as a whole. The overwhelming purpose of your small intestine is to absorb the macronutrients that you know as protein, carbohydrates, and fats, all broken down and absorbed into your bloodstream. It will be the cells of your small intestine that decide what will get past the gatekeepers and be allowed to enter your body. Now, of course, you would hope that only useful, healthy molecules of food would be allowed to enter into your bloodstream, right? Well, in fact, this is not what happens with most people. If you look at your small intestine under a microscope, you'll see that it's lined with thousands of cells that separate the inside of the intestine from the outside. Those cells should be tight fitting together called tight junctions. When your food is digested and broken down adequately, only the elementary food molecules should enter your bloodstream. That would mean sugar should be broken all the way down to the molecule glucose. Fats should be broken into their individual fatty acids and proteins should be digested and broken down to the individual amino acids. Your body works best and recognizes these small molecules once they enter your bloodstream from your small intestine. The problem comes when those cells are not tightly packed together. The tight junctions are not tight anymore. In fact, they become loose with spaces in between and this condition is called leaky gut. It really means that the barrier between your gut and your bloodstream has been compromised and now you have objects moving into your bloodstream that shouldn't be there. That would be larger particles along with those acid toxins from the undigested food. So remember, if your stomach is not acid enough, you can't digest your food so the food creates its own acid. Well, this toxic acid is now leaking through your small intestine into your bloodstream. What's so interesting about this is that what happens here in your small intestine also happens in your brain. Your brain has what's called a blood-brain barrier, which works to allow only the necessary molecules to move from your body into your brain. It's a barrier to protect your brain. This is just like the barrier in your small intestine that protects the rest of your body from your intestinal contents. If leaky gut happens to you, you also now have leaky brain. What does all this mean? And how did, even, how did it even happen in the oh, first place? Good, good question. It happens from a variety of reasons. First, that undigested food producing the acid toxins creates that inflammatory condition of the gut. So eating foods that irritate your system also cause an inflammatory condition. It's been found that wheat and gluten pro- products or wheat and gluten produce an inflammatory state in almost everyone in the gut and also in the brain. 
having an overgrowth of bad bacteria creates an inflammatory condition. And overusing medications such as antibiotics and the NSAIDs can create a leaky gut condition. NSAIDs, that would be it's if you write it down, it's N S A I D. That stands for non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, and those include drugs such as ibuprofen, naproxen, piroxicam, and many, many more. Steroid drugs such as prednisone and methylprednisolone also create this condition. All of these reasons for leaky gut are all the same for creating leaky brain. Leaky brain feels like foggy thinking, depression, anxiety, ADHD, and any thinking or brain condition. If you're dealing with these brain symptoms, we recommend you look into the health of your gut. What's interesting is that when you heal your gut, you heal the leaky brain. They go hand in hand. And in this show, we're going to focus on the foods that could be causing you trouble and what to do about it. First off, I'm guessing that you're thinking that you don't have any food reactions. Mm -hmm. If that's what you're thinking, it's pretty normal. Well, realize that when foods leak through your intestinal wall and into your bloodstream, your body reacts with an immune response. Those particles are not supposed to be there. Alarms go off and your immune system kicks in to get these particles out of your bloodstream. You have an immune response. Once the immune system has been activated like this, the reaction lasts for about six days. Yes, I just said six days. Now think about it. Do you think that you ate that food again before six days was up? It's likely that you ate it again a few hours later or at least the next day. This means that the immune response keeps going on a permanent basis. Now you're running around with an immune system not operating at 100% when those colds and flus are going around. You get sick easier and you don't bounce back as quickly as someone else. The really bad thing here is that a chronically stimulated immune system from leaky gut can lead to autoimmune disease. That would be rheumatoid arthritis, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, lupus, and many, many more. Your overactive immune system now starts attacking your own healthy cells. Well, let's get back to the food reactions. We were talking about if you notice food reactions on a regular daily basis. What happens is most people don't notice anything at all when you eat a food because that immune response is always there. You keep eating those foods on a regular basis. And you could do a blood test to determine food sensitivities. But we don't recommend this for a variety of reasons. The first is that these just simply are not accurate. We found that many practitioners have tested the same person in the morning and then in the evening and get completely different results. And then other practitioners have taken the blood from one person. They divide it into two or three different tests, and each test actually comes out different. Now, this test is also not accurate at all for gluten sensitivity. And the last reason is that it's quite expensive. It's in the three dollars or $400 range. What we would recommend is doing an elimination diet to determine if you have any food sensitivities and then determine what foods you are sensitive to specifically. The elimination diet is essentially a diet where you eliminate all commonly sensitizing foods. In a nutshell, you eliminate all these foods for 21 days, then slowly reintroduce them one at a time. It's this reintroduction period where 
you'll find out which foods bother your system and create this immune and inflammatory response. Remember, we are sensitive to a food when our immune system recognizes it as a foreign substance in the bloodstream. And not until you eliminate the food for a period of time and let your immune system calm down will you experience a reaction when you reintroduce that food. The immune system must be quiet before you'll notice a reaction. And that's why for most people it's necessary to eliminate all of these possibly offending foods. For instance, if you only eliminate gluten but keep eating dairy, soy, nuts, tomatoes, eggs, and everything else... If you are sensitive or reactive to dairy or soy, your immune system will not calm down, even if you eliminate gluten. Then you go and add gluten back in and you don't feel any difference. Well, that was because you did not calm your whole immune system down before reintroducing the gluten. Now, let's get into exactly what those foods are. You can go ahead and take notes, or you can go to the blog at mybodybalancenutrition.com and see the list of foods there. Here are the foods to take out of your diet for the 21-day period. Strawberries and citrus fruits, mushrooms, nightshade vegetables, which are potatoes, tomatoes, eggplant, peppers, as well as cayenne or chili powder, gluten-containing grains such as wheat, barley, rye, and couscous, and oatmeal, corn, soy, nuts and seeds, including peanuts, shellfish, pork, corn-fed beef, cold cuts, aged meats, eggs, dairy, butter, all processed or damaged oils, and eat only good fats like coconut oil, good palm oil, and olive oil. Eliminate alcohol, soda, and energy drinks. Eliminate all sweeteners except for stevia. And of course, eliminate any food you already know to which you are allergic or sensitive. Yes, you will need to be prepared for this. (laughs) Clean out your kitchen, shop for food. Now, here are the foods that you do eat on the elimination diet. All vegetables except for the nightshade family. That would include broccoli, kale, cauliflower, onions, lots of vegetables. Now, it looks like it's time to take a break, so let's take a break. We'll come back and we'll keep talking about the elimination diet. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. How is your health? Do you want to know more about it? Every day there are new technologies, procedures, and healing techniques coming forward. To understand them, tune in to Speaking of Health with Dr. Michael Cudlis. Our guests come from different backgrounds in the fields of health and healing. We'll discuss new realities and modalities, from chiropractic to metagenics. It's all designed to improve your quality of life. Speaking of Health is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? 
Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson in The Sea Around Us said, All at last return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Wednesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Green Talk Network. You're listening to Body Balance Talk. To reach Lucy Hewitt or her expert guests, please call into the program today at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Or send an email to info at mybodybalancenutrition.com. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Body Balance Talk. I'm Lucy here with Madeline and Jeannie. Before the break, we were talking about the elimination diet. If you didn't catch what foods to eliminate for the first 21 days, visit our blog at mybodybalancenutrition.com. Now, let's talk about the foods that you do eat on the elimination diet. Lots of vegetable choices. All vegetables except those from the nightshade family. So the ones you could eat include broccoli, kale, cauliflower, onions, garlic, lettuce, zucchini, bok choy, many, many more. This is the time to explore new greens and new vegetables. Others would be cabbage, Brussels sprouts, collard greens, spinach, squash. The list of vegetables is endless. Remember, you're only eliminating mushrooms and nightshades like tomatoes and potatoes. Then also choose meats like chicken, turkey, 100% grass-fed beef, tuna, bison, salmon, Cornish hen and goat. So you do have a big list of protein choices. For fats, choose organic, unprocessed oils such as olive oil and coconut oil and palm oil. Remember to avoid butter as that is a dairy. Choose any fruits except for citrus and strawberries. That could be apples or raspberries, blueberries, peaches, cranberries, and more. If you're eating grains, choose gluten-free grains such as quinoa, amaranth, millet, and wild rice. And look for high-quality organic spices and herbs such as basil, rosemary, thyme, black pepper, chives, garlic, oregano, and more. Remember just to avoid hot peppers like chili powder and cayenne. This might sound highly restrictive, 
But we're here to tell you that we know of many people who eat this way on a permanent basis, maybe adding in butter and eggs if they're not sensitive to those. In a moment, we'll talk about strategies to eat and live this way. Believe it or not, many people's lives have improved dramatically and health problems disappeared after doing this elimination diet. And before we get into the strategies, let's go back to how you reintroduce those foods. So the first step is to make a plan. Choose your list of foods that you want to reintroduce. And this sh- this list should com- be comprised of the foods you avoided for the first 21 days. Now, common foods that people reintroduce are tomatoes and peppers, eggs, dairy, nuts and seeds, shellfish, and strawberries. Now, if you already know a specific food from that first list causes you problems, don't reintroduce it. Now, you may choose to test individual foods. Like, for example, if you're testing dairy, you may choose to test cow's milk, cow's yogurt, cow's cheese, all separately. Then test goat's milk, goat's cheese, then whey protein powder specifically. Sometimes you have problems with one of these types of foods, but not others. Now, you may also want to break down the individual nightshades. Test tomatoes individually, and then test bell peppers, and then test potatoes. That one's actually a common one that people react to, that people might react just to tomatoes and not bell peppers or vice versa. So once you've decided which foods you're going to test, schedule your reintroduction on a blank calendar. So day one, reintroduce one of the foods on the list and eat it for breakfast and lunch. For example, for day one, reintroduce eggs. Have scrambled eggs in the morning and hard-boiled eggs on your salad for lunch. Now this is just a normal serving size amount. You don't need to be eating a huge amount of eggs all at once. Choose three eggs in, in your scramble. Day two, return to the elimination diet. So re-remove all of the avoid foods from your diet again, including the eggs. Day three, same thing. You're only eating the allowed foods. Then day four, you reintroduce the next food on your list. Tomatoes, for example. Have tomato with your breakfast and with lunch. And then remove tomato for the rest of the reintroduction. Now, just notice that we didn't add eggs back in. Eggs are still out. And then once you reintroduce tomatoes, take those back out. And to get accurate results, you must reintroduce only one food at a time and then completely remove it from your diet again. If you reintroduce more than one food at once and you experience a reaction, you won't know to which food that you might be reacting. Now, when you reintroduce a food, pay attention to any reactions you may experience. You'll need to be a bit of a detective. The most common reactions that people experience are gastrointestinal upset or nausea or just an inability to digest the food. Maybe it feels like it just sits in your stomach. You could also experience reflux where the food or acid comes up into your throat. You might feel very tired or even fatigued. You might experience brain fog or the inability to concentrate and pay attention joint pain 
or stiffness is a very common reaction that people have. You might see a worsening of skin issues such as rash, eczema, or acne. Maybe you get bloated and experience water retention, or you may notice your weight increases the day after reintroducing a food. A big one is sinus congestion, watery or itchy eyes. You may notice environmental allergies getting worse. Or you may see a change in your mood, maybe depression or even anxious feelings arise. And one more, a common reaction is increase in heart rate. You may feel your heart race a little bit more. Now, these symptoms might appear immediately after you eat the food or could actually happen hours later. It could even be the next day that you experience a reaction, something like puffiness or maybe a feeling of toxicity. The symptoms you experience should be pretty noticeable. What happens if you find out you're sensitive to a food or a number of foods? First, I want to tell you that if you have multiple foods that you are allergic or sensitive to, it's usually a strong sign of leaky gut. If you heal your gut and close those junctions, the reactions to the foods could possibly disappear. But don't expect that before at least six months of avoiding the foods and working on gut healing. So the first step to healing your gut is to avoid the foods to which you are sensitive. Remember, one of the reasons you may have developed a leaky gut is by eating foods your body did not respond well to. Avoid the foods that caused reactions during that reintroduction period so that the inflammation in your gut can decrease. Second, avoid anything else that could be causing leaky gut, excessive NSAIDs, antibiotics, excessive alcohol or sugar or stress. Third, use supplements to rebuild the gut lining. L-glutamine is an amino acid you can take as a supplement to heal the endothelial wall of the small intestine and reverse leaky gut. Now, we recommend getting professional help if you're going to use L-glutamine. People are not all the same and need individualized help to avoid getting into trouble with L-glutamine and to assure it's being used correctly. This is something we use with all our clients with these food sensitivity issues. Fourth, optimize your digestion. Chew your food in a relaxed state so that the food is almost completely digested by the time it hits the small intestine. Eat fermented foods to build up the gut, mucosa lining, and good bacteria. And after working hard at healing your gut and avoiding your food sensitivities for at least six months, go ahead and retest one of the foods that you reacted to and see if you still experience a reaction. If you don't have a reaction, very, very carefully put that food back into your diet. And we highly suggest, though, limiting that food to every four days or even less. If you start eating that food again every single day, you actually have a high likelihood of developing another negative response to that food. And Madeline, you've had quite the experience with food sensitivities, right? Yes, I certainly have. When people find out that I've been gluten-free for over five years, they always put on that really kind of sad puppy face and they start pitying me. And they say things like, oh, that's so sad. Don't you feel so left out? 
And the answer is always no, I don't feel left out. The quality of my life was so much lower when I ate gluten. And yeah, I could eat whatever I wanted and it tasted great, but I was always sick. I had terrible mood swings. I had horrendous food cravings, pale skin. I always had these weird rashes that would come and go. My thinking was foggy. And then on top of that, I was vomiting and fainting on a regular basis. And one of my ballet teachers even approached my best friend, and she had asked her if I was bulimic because I spent so much time in the bathroom throwing up. And it was challenging to give up the sweets and the breads, but that's because I didn't even know how. I I was kind of doing it all by myself, and I, I just didn't know how to do it. I didn't have the tools that make it easy. And today, we're going to share some of those tools with you. It took me a whole year to go more than one day without eating gluten. I was only using my willpower, and that's nearly impossible. So fast forward about five years and look at me now. I'm free of all my bad, well, most of my bad symptoms. Almost all of my bad symptoms are gone. I feel better. I look better. I'm so much happier. And on top of that, I really like the food that I eat. I don't at all feel like I'm deprived, like not even a little bit. And I have the ability to walk through a bakery or I can sit next to a pizza or even participate in Christmas, like the day of cookies. I can participate in Christmas and not have any temptation at all. I really love my life without gluten and I definitely would not choose to go back to eating it. And I've had to develop ways to eat this way outside of just my home and my kitchen. So when I travel or when I go to restaurants or parties, or when I go to work, there are challenges and there are obstacles to overcome, but it's really worth it for me. When you think of giving up gluten for the first time, you might have a flash of panic. I know that's what I had. You might be thinking, what restaurants can I go to and will I ever even enjoy the food again and what can I even eat? So let's start with the restaurants. Luckily, more and more people are starting to give up gluten, and restaurants are starting to notice. It's a slow process, but I have seen a change for the better, and it's easier to go out and find good food to eat. So let's break it down. Right when you sit down at the restaurant, ask the waiter not to bring the bread or the chips. You'll feel better if you don't have to sit and stare at a basket of bread. That's too tempting, and it's very uncomfortable. Then, when you look at the menu... Look for a meal based on a piece of fish or meat. Look at the sauce that might be accompanying the fish or the meat. It's likely to have gluten in it. Ask the waiter if you can get a sauce without gluten. These entrees typically come with a few sides. However, they often contain pasta or other ingredients you might choose not to eat. Instead, ask if you can get two sides of vegetables, such as broccoli, cauliflower, green beans, or asparagus. And if you're new at saying goodbye to gluten, or maybe even all grains, your body might need a bit more carbs in the beginning stages. Opt for a simple potato, or even better, would be a small sweet potato to give you a bit of starchy carbs. Ask for butter or olive oil for the veggies in the potato. 
And salads are usually easy to find. However, so many salads have landmines, such as crispy chicken, sugary, syrupy dressings, or creamy dressings filled with damaging, low-quality fats. There's croutons on top, or there's chow mein noodles sprinkled on top, or those sugar walnuts. There are a lot of hidden ingredients in dressing. You'll find sugar and vinegar, which contains wheat, soy sauce, which also contains wheat, and plenty of damaged fats. Not only that, but so many salads are made with the cheapest, low-quality greens. Speak up and ask for what you want. Try this. Order your salad with spinach for extra fiber and nutrients. Ask for roasted chicken, none of that breaded fried stuff, and as many colored veggies as possible. Skip the cheese if you're avoiding dairy. Add olives and avocado for some good fats. And ask for olive oil for the dressing. And get out your Himalayan salt that you carry in your purse and put that on your salad along with any other seasonings such as pepper. Olive oil, salt, and seasonings is a lovely dressing for salad. Just give it a try. If you're really missing the tang, add some lemon juice. Soup would be a great choice because it can be made with a piece of meat stock with lots of minerals in it, lots of veggies and some meat in that meat stock. But we've found that restaurants don't make soups like this. They add flour or cornstarch or both as thickening agents, as well as flavor enhancers and often cream. So restaurant soups are usually loaded with regular table salt, which leaves, leaves you bloated the next day. And restaurant soup usually has noodles or rice as well. It's quite rare to find 100% gluten and grain-free soup. That's too bad because it's really easy to make flavorful soup at home and you can make it in a healthy way. Homemade soup is one of my favorite foods because it tastes amazing, it's inexpensive, it's healthy, and it's always easy to make. It is, but restaurants and food companies know that gluten is addicting, so they sneak it into the broth on purpose. It's a quick and cheap way for them to rope you into eating more and coming back time and time again. Oh, it looks like it's time to go to a break. Great. Well, we'll be back soon. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Every day we face struggles and issues concerning addiction, whether it's ourselves, family members, friends, or other loved ones. On Overcoming Addiction, Hope with Prevention, Intervention, and Treatment, Dr. Joe Terhar helps us all better understand the causes and approaches to addressing addiction with the knowledge that no single approach is 100% effective. From guest experts, families, and addicts, you'll hear about what is and is not working in overcoming addiction. Tune in Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. The show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. 
Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. If you have a loved one that is undergoing treatment for substance abuse or mental illness, you owe it to them and yourself to tune in to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. This compassionate and educational talk show will help you help those that you love by better understanding their condition and their personal recovery process. Tune in every Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time to One Hour at a Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Recovery begins this hour. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Body Balance Talk. To reach Lucy Hewitt or her expert guests, please call into the program today at 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. Or send an email to info at mybodybalancenutrition.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Body Balance Talk. I'm Lucy, here with Madeline and Jeannie. Before the break, we were talking about strategies for eating out when you're going gluten-free. And let's get back to that topic of what to even order at a restaurant when you're gluten-free. Another meal idea could be lettuce wraps. And you'll find those on kind of a lot of menus these days. So if you order a lettuce wrap, you'll get some sort of meat or veggie mixture that you can wrap inside a piece of lettuce and eat like a sandwich. And you often will see lettuce wraps in the appetizer section of the menu. Be sure to ask if the sauce or dressing has gluten in it, though, especially if you're eating at an Asian restaurant. If you're out for breakfast, look for eggs on the menu. An omelet is an ideal choice as you can order it filled with vegetables and ask for a lot of spinach in your omelet. Fresh spinach cooks way down to look like almost nothing, and it's a great way to increase vegetables in your diet. You sneak them right into your eggs. Eggs usually come with hash browns and toast or some other bread choice, and if you need the starchy carbs, keep the potatoes, but substitute the bread with a serving of, you guessed it, another vegetable. Yes, ask the waiter if you can get a side of broccoli or other vegetables. They'll usually have to go back to the kitchen to check, but we've found it's almost always available. And it really helps to be persistent and ask for what you need at the restaurant. The good part of all of this is that if we all start asking for these foods, restaurants will start to accommodate us. Really, is it too much to ask to get a side of veggies? It tells you how few people really eat vegetables. So few that the restaurants are surprised when we ask. Now, we've recently learned that New York City has restaurants that advertise on their windows that they use Himalayan salt. Now, we're here in Minneapolis, and we're waiting for this trend to come here so that we don't have to carry it around in our purses. <laughs> now, now, you could ask for a gluten-free menu, but watch out on those menus. Watch out for too many carbs or grains or starchy vegetables. Remember, meat or fish and vegetables. You will usually see a lot of red flags when you eat something that is labeled gluten-free because they will replace the gluten with something that's overly processed or high in carbs. And one example of this might be a gluten-free bun on your hamburger. This bun is probably full of ingredients like chick 
chickpea flour, tapioca starch, or rice flour. And yes, it's true that the bun doesn't contain gluten, but those other ingredients are not healthy. They're extremely processed and they have way too many carbs. However, if it's a rare event, like once a month or less, it's not the worst thing in the world to eat. Now, if you heard our sugar, sugar episode a few weeks ago, then you learned that these processed grains, even if they are not gluten containing, rapidly turn into sugar, creating high triglycerides and inflammation in your body. That's a pretty big topic. So if you miss the sugar, sugar show, then visit our website at mybodybalancenutrition.com and find the podcast. You can go back and listen at your leisure. In fact, we've heard from many people who listen to to these podcasts while they cook at home. Another great resource is our blog, also at mybodybalancenutrition.com. You'll find lots of information on these same topics, along with recipes and even videos that show you how to make these foods. So Madeline, what else should we look out for at restaurants? Well, sometimes gluten is hiding in your food and you don't even know it's in there until later when you have foggy thoughts or you're bloated and now you have acne. Oh, I know exactly what you mean. I was at a conference just this weekend and they served this lunch and the conference was at an upscale hotel and the lunch buffet looked really, really good and lots of different choices there. I ended up choosing a salad and I asked the waiter to bring me some olive oil along with, they had this great vegetable medley. It had summer squash, mushrooms, carrots, green beans, and some other things in it. And I chose a few pieces of this beef and it, it actually, looked really good. It had this yummy looking sauce. Um, Big red flag right there. Yummy looking sauce. Well, and then at the table, I used my Himalayan salt that I had in my my purse. But oh my gosh, after about 30 minutes, we were back into the conference. I felt this huge fog come over me as if the shades were going down. And the information at the conference, it was highly technical, and I had to use all my energy to stay focused and pay attention. And then my body heated up really, really hot, which is odd for me because I'm always cold. And it was actually really cold at this conference, you know, all that air conditioning. I was so uncomfortable, and the rest of the afternoon was so miserable. I determined that it must have been the gluten in the sauce for the meat. And I decided that for the next two days, because the conference was three days long, Those following two days, I decided I'm going to bring my own lunch instead of go through that again. And I found that a bit odd because I've never really considered myself extremely sensitive to gluten. However, I've not had gluten for about a year and a half. So this amount in the sauce was really enough to cause a reaction. Yeah, I see exactly what you mean by that. Be careful about any sauce or seasonings on your food and ask the waiter if the sauce, gravy, or spices contain any gluten or wheat. If the answer is yes, then ask for your food to be prepared differently. I always used this order... um, I always, I, sorry about that. I I always used to order this one dish are you of talking, salmon. Are you talking about that favorite restaurant that we like to go to where you would get the salmon and asparagus? Yeah, I was trying to think of the name of the restaurant. I can't think of it, but I always just used to order this one really good dish, and it had salmon and asparagus in it, and it had this amazing tangy sauce that was drizzled on top of the fish, and I loved it. 
But then I started to notice a pattern. Every time I ate there, I left feeling sluggish and my thoughts were foggy and I just felt kind of like blah. And the next time I went to that restaurant, I asked them what was in that delicious sauce. And sure enough, it had flour and lots of sugar too. But that's an easy fix. I just ordered the same thing without the sauce and it still tasted great. Wow, you would never think that a little sauce would be that big of a deal. It sounds like a good idea to always double-check the ingredients. Yes, exactly. And just the other day, I was at a restaurant, and I ordered a salad. And I asked for olive oil instead of the dressing. I asked for no cheese and no salt on the meat. And then I put my own salt on the salad, and it was great. I didn't feel like anything was missing at all, and the waitress was perfectly fine with my requests. You might think that the waiters will look at you like a crazy person, but I think they're kind of used to it by now, and it's really no big deal. It is true that restaurants nowadays are pretty lenient with substitutions and requests, but not everyone gets it. Sometimes the hardest part of eating healthy is dealing with your friends and family. I know what you mean. There can be a lot of pressure from your friends. They might be eating plates of pasta or sandwiches or fried chicken, and then they hear you say something like, I'll have a burger with no bun, and they have this huge reaction, and they might actually act offended that you ordered that. And it's as if you're judging them for not eating the healthy food that you are. Yes, but this is not a reason to give in. Don't make a big deal about your food choices with your friends. And don't explain why you're not eating the bread or the pasta. In fact, we recommend not talking about it at all, especially in the beginning, or if your friends and family would not react well to this. Well, but what do you do if they ask? Well, then make it simple. Just say something like, oh, yes, I'll have some of that in a few minutes. And then keep the conversation going on another topic. Topic, And then change the subject to something that focuses on them. Hopefully, they'll never even notice what exactly you're not eating. Well, food can be very emotional, and it can be a very personal topic. And don't try and change your friends' diets. Make sure you don't judge or comment on their food, even if they're genuinely interested. Like, if they're genuinely interested in in what you're eating, then you can explain why you choose to eat gluten-free. But you're only going to explain it in the simplest way possible. It's best to keep it really short. Don't try to convince them of anything. Just say something like, I just feel better this way, or it just works for me. Yeah, if you answer like that, you they usually just drop the subject and it won't become an issue. I used to live with a roommate who claimed she was gluten-free, and that's actually why I wanted to live with her, because I thought that she would eat like how I eat. But then once I started living with her, I noticed that she was living in a false reality. She would drink beer and eat sandwiches and make pancakes every morning, and then she'd have toast for a snack. And every time I walked in the room while she was eating those things, I wouldn't say anything, I wouldn't react, but she would jump up and just suddenly start giving excuses. And she would say, oh, I don't care if I have eczema this week, I'll just wear long sleeves. Or she would say, oh, I'm just having one beer. And then I would just nod and I would say, okay, and I wouldn't say anything more than that. And I learned that the hard way, though. I used to tell people, you shouldn't eat that. Or I would say things like, bread is really bad for you. And then they would get mad and it would start a huge argument. 
but it just feels much better just to let people eat what they're going to eat and then you just eat what you're going to eat. And with that roommate, she would always come into the kitchen and she would stare at my food in awe and she would ask questions like, wow, do you really eat that ve- that many vegetables? Or she would look at something else I was eating and go, what is that? Are you putting spinach in your smoothie? And then I would just give her tiny answers. I would usually just say yes and then just shut my mouth. I could just see the wheels turning in her brain and I would just smile and go back to my cooking. And it actually almost feels like a game when you behave like that. Well, this tactic can apply to other circumstances too. Really? Like what? One situation could be a holiday dinner. Everybody has a favorite holiday tradition, and it usually revolves around food, right? When you hear the word holiday, you might imagine a variety of colorful Christmas cookies or beautiful chocolate desserts or special breads that grandma always makes or maybe birthday cake and ice cream, right? Well, don't worry. You can still have a blast during the holidays without feeling deprived or alone. Desserts are a big part of holidays, and we've experienced how hard and even sad it can be to go without sweets. That's why we've come up with a variety of special recipes that you can eat instead of these sugary, gluten-filled treats. One of those was the Thin Mints. Another is a chocolate cake made with eggs, coconut flour, cocoa powder, butter, walnuts, and sweetened with stevia, but still has no gluten, grains, or sugar. You can get the recipe and watch a video on how to make the cake on our blog at mybodybalancenutrition.com. There it is again. Lots of reasons to go to the blog. And use it as your information source for good nutrition and good recipes. Having this cake is so helpful for me. I really like the texture and the chocolatey flavor, and I can even bring it to parties or potlucks, and then the other people like it too. And we all know that there's more to living gluten-free than just desserts. What about the rest of the holiday meal? Well, if you're going to a potluck or a holiday dinner, volunteer to bring the vegetables. What about roasted Brussels sprouts or spicy green beans or asparagus? Sweet potato pureed soup is a special, naturally sweet soup that has a wide appeal. And it also... Um, is cooked sweet potatoes pureed with water that the potatoes have been cooked in. Add a little bit of salt and maybe some spice. Mmm, it's super good. Then plan to fill most of your plate with veggies that you brought, and then add a few slices of meat or fish. Most holiday dinners involve a turkey or some type of roast, so this will be easy. And if you bring your chocolate cake, you'll have something delicious for dessert. Or you could host the dinner this year. Make that your new tradition. You don't even have to warn people that it's going to be healthy. Just plan to have loads of delicious spicy vegetables and a great big salad and a free-range turkey or grass-fed beef roast. And you could even make cranberries. Buy them whole, cook them in water until they burst, and add a little bit of orange peel and stevia to sweeten. That's actually one of my favorite recipes. Mmm, that one's delicious. And if you want ice cream with that chocolate cake, mix homemade kefir or canned coconut milk with frozen strawberries, almond extract, and stevia. Mix them together in your Vitamix or another type of powerful blender. And eat it like that, or you can freeze it in an ice cream maker. 
absolutely delicious. You can vary this recipe by making it chocolate or coffee flavor or mint with unsweetened cacao nibs or make it blueberry or peach or cherry. The variations are really endless. And by now, you should be feeling some relief about being gluten-free. Remember that there is so much good food out there that doesn't involve bread or grains. You just have to plan ahead, especially when you go to the grocery store. And you might feel overwhelmed the first time you step into the store and plan to avoid gluten or grains completely. So what do you even buy? It's pretty normal to feel panicked in this this type of situation. So you can set your mind at ease if you take some time to plan out your meals for the week before you step into the store. And that way you know exactly which vegetables and meat you're planning to buy. Plan to skip most all the packaged and frozen foods, but sometimes frozen berries or veggies can come in handy. Start in the produce, fill your cart with lots of organic veggies, including a variety of greens for salad, but also for your morning eggs. Next, it's the meat counter, getting 100% grass-fed beef and free-range chicken and eggs. Pick up some fish. Ask the fishmonger for the freshest, most most healthy fish from the best farms or get the wild-caught fish. Then you might want to pick up some canned coconut milk, almond or hazelnut flour, and coconut flour. It looks like our show is coming to an end. Be sure to visit the blog at mybodybalancenutrition.com to see a video on how to make the ferment, how to make the chocolate cake and leave us comments. Now I'm Lucy along with Madeline and Jeannie and that's our show. Thanks again for tuning in this week. Join Lucy Hewitt for another edition of Body Balance Talk next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, listen to yourself and make it a healthy life ahead.